Constructive Voices, the podcast for the construction people with news, views and expert interviews. Hi and welcome to Constructive Voices. I'm Steve Randall and on this week's episode we're talking about mental health. October is a focus for mental health in many parts of the world and we've got a great guest for you from the Lighthouse Construction Industry Charity. He's been talking with Jackie DeBurka. I am Bill Hill. I am the Chief Executive of the Lighthouse Construction Industry Charity. Let's just delve into your journey as to how you arrived because your background so bill you're doing this amazing work where you are today in the lighthouse construction industry charity but going back about 20 years or so into the early part of your career it didn't hold any clue whatsoever that you'd be doing what you're doing today i'm fascinated with how people's lives and the path you know, leads to a certain place. Can you can you just talk us through your journey, Bill, please? That's really strange, Jackie, because I'm quite fascinated how I ended up here as well, to be fair. <laughs> um, I think I think when you get a chance to reflect on how you got to, to be where you are just now, you think, how the heck did that happen? And yeah, I mean, it's, uh, I spent my whole life in technology, basically. Uh, I trained as an accountant and, and managed to escape uh, accountancy world. And uh, I was in the world of technology with uh, Hewlett Packard and Sage PLC on doing uh, country, uh, European and sometimes worldwide roles uh, with them. And then it came to a point where a company I was working for, uh, the latter part, was bought by a big American outfit and they wanted me to go to the Middle East and run their operations there. And I said to my wife, like, let's go to the Middle East. And she said, well, you'll be on your own then. And I went, <laughs> ah, okay. So, and, and in the background, all through my working life, I rugby is my sport. I love rugby. And I had been raising money for the Wooden Spoon, which is a children's charity of rugby. And it was just happenstance that they were looking for a CEO um, at the time when I was saying, well, maybe I should go, go do something completely different. And I took on the role of CEO of the Wooden Spoon and met all my rugby heroes over a number of years and used my business acumen to turn it around in the right direction. And then this role came up with the Lighthouse Construction Industry Charity. And my background as well is I was I was born and brought up on a little island off the west coast of Scotland with only nine people on it. Uh, my dad was the lighthouse keeper. Um, no way. <laughs> <laughs> this is a true story. My dad was a lighthouse keeper on the island. And I thought, wait a minute, the, the, the planets are just lining up here. And uh, I went along to the interview, wore my dad's uh, cufflinks, my lighthouse cufflinks, and uh, they gave me the job on the merit of my cufflinks, I think. And, uh, <laughs> and, and here I am now, um, 10 years in, uh, running this charity, really loving it. And uh, it's just strange how you how you end up doing what you're doing, I must admit. It really is. Yeah, no, it's quite fascinating. And I think we're going to delve into a lot of obviously what the work you're doing with the charity at the moment. I'm going to jump in with the statistic that was on the newsletter that came through from your team that I know lots of people are familiar with the statistic, but I'm still in shock when I read it myself. And I'm referring to the fact that every single day, working day in the UK, two construction workers take their own lives. Now, Bill, how does this compare to 2013 when you took your role there? To be honest, Jackie, we, we, we have not moved the dials uh, one iota. Uh, we did a major research study with uh, the Caledonia University in Glasgow and took the statistics of suicides within our industry right back to 2011. And the dial has not, has not moved. You, you're still three times more likely to see a suicide in our industry than any other industry. And, and if you're in the uh, ground worker or in the trades, that is nearly eight times more likely to see a suicide in our industry 
than, than any other industry. So it's something that uh, we are all morally obligated to do something about. And, and to be fair, the industry is now sitting up, it's taking notice, and we're driving some significant programmes to, to try and change these, these terrible statistics. They are shocking statistics. And on one hand, I guess, should we be happy that considering so many things that have happened, obviously, including COVID and so on in the world, uh, that they haven't gone up? Is that sort of, is there a little bit of merit in there somewhere? Or what do you think, Bill? Well, well we're talking fine points here. If you, if you compare the, the time of the pandemic uh, with all the other industries, that all the other industries stayed stable as a percentage of the population employed. But during that period, the number of suicides within our industry actually went up during that period of time. But but it's, it's difficult to get, you do not want a suicide statistic that is two points something or other, uh, but it definitely uh, it went up over two uh, during that period of time uh, as well. So, I mean, we, we, we did see more um, issues coming through that pandemic period than, than other people were uh, experiencing. Mm. Now, what I suppose on a very positive note is we can say that Within the industry, there has been a very significant change over the last few years in terms of, you know, the likes of it's, it's okay to talk about it, that you're not okay. A lot, it's a lot more acceptable than it used to be. So the work that's been done in recent years is having some kind of an impact. But at the same time, there's still a lot of challenges, Bill, aren't there, within the industry? Can you sort of shed light on, on, on exactly how that is for the sector? Yeah, if we look at the macro picture, then what you've got as an industry, it's got 3.1 million people working in the industry, roughly. Uh, 87% of that population are men. Okay, so immediately it's heavily skewed towards the, the, the male psyche within, within the industry. Um, also, the industry has some fantastic rewards, but it carries huge risk. I mean, every year we lose around about 30 to 40 people with on-site incidents, uh, fatalities, which is not good, but it's come a long way since 1956 uh, when we were losing somewhere around about 200 people in the industry um, every year with on-site fatalities. Every year we see around about 2,000 accidents that incapacitate an individual to such an extent that they can't actually go back to work in the same role. The industry is number one for occupational cancer cases, and 20% of all recorded time off work is due to stress, anxiety, or depression. And then ultimately, the, the, the big statistic is the hard-hitting one, is that every working day, we're losing two uh, construction workers to suicide. So the industry has got a lot of challenges, uh, and it's not a brilliant advert. And so, you know, for to try to bring new people into the industry. So it's something the industry needs to work really hard at to change those dimensions and put some really good welfare and well-being programs and get those dials to change. It's really important. So there was a report bill in 2017, and obviously that highlighted the issues that we're talking about. But of course, since then, we've had the COVID-19 pandemic. How has that impacted the mental health of workers within the industry? Yeah, the, the report you're referring to was the Stevenson Farmer report that came out in 2017 that really did wake up the industry and say, look, the, the industry has got some really clear uh, mental health issues. What happened during the COVID period is our, our phone started, our helpline phone started ringing off the hook because I say go back to that earlier statistic of 53% of the population uh, working as self-employed agency workers or zero-hour contracts, 
their, their income just suddenly stopped because they couldn't work. And at that time as well, it took a little while for the government to come out with their programs of help and support for the self-employed to help them get back on their feet. Uh, but then construction went back to work pretty quickly uh, straight after that as well. So it did come back to work quite quickly. But then that added an extra strain on as well because you had all these people traveling together to work, working together um, on sites, etc., and then traveling home, which added increased stress and anxiety, not only to the workers possibly taking the disease home, but also people looking at them and saying, well, what are you doing at work? And you're making this thing worse for everybody else. So that added another huge uh, stress to, to the situation. But, but there was there was some good things came out of COVID, if you can say there were good things. Uh, one is that the industry always said it could never do flexible working. And during COVID, guess what? We managed to get flexible working, working, uh, which was great. And, and then the second thing that uh, we've been pushing for a long time was, is raising the hygiene factors on site as well. And because of COVID, the, the hygiene factors on site really had to take a major step forward. So there's been two quite big breakthroughs in the, the, the norms within working within the construction industry that were, were really pushed in, in, in a very positive way, which in turn adds something that makes it a little bit easier uh, for, for women to get into the industry as well. Having flexible working and better hygiene factors allows more uh, women in, in equality, uh, diversity and inclusion to allow that to happen because the, the industry is 87% dominated by men. And again, that is not a helpful culture uh, within there because you're 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 dealing with some really uh, ingrained stigma attached to mental health and talking about it. But if we can get more women into the industry and equalise the diversity of the workforce, then that is by by natural processes is going to make it a better place to work in the future and hopefully attract more young people to come in in the future as well. It's great that you've, you've actually highlighted that point, Bill, because it is, yes, of course, women have a, a different impact on an environment and with it being so male-dominated, of course, it does make it much more challenging to address conversations around mental health. We've just been doing a series about female engineers within the built environment with the exact sort of same concept in mind that, you know, really we have to encourage more females into you know into all parts of the industry so that's fantastic now but going back to the lockdowns which had a severe effect on lots of people through all as you know all parts of the communities around the world those changes spill that happened in, in the work patterns at that time do you feel that they've like stayed or is it like some aspects of lockdown that people kind of almost forgotten about them you know is it a permanent impact for the industry do you think well I, I think the accelerations of the the welfare and well-being programs are definitely a constant now that is definitely where a lot of the conversations we're having with the industry and we're, we're, we're getting met with open arms and open doors to come in and talk to, to them about our story and what we can do to help them on their journey to, to, to build a, a, a strong welfare and well being programmed for the workforce. So that has set, certainly stayed within the industry. Uh, I, I do see that, you know, we still need to go a longer way to try and really help with that flexible working. And I know in Ireland, uh, they're trying to, and some companies are now trying to work on a, on a four-day week 
And instead of measuring people by the amount of time that they're actually on site, they're actually measuring people on the output that they're actually achieving. So therefore, when you, you achieve certain uh, aspects of a project to a certain level, your work is done. And that, to me, is a far better way of, of working because it incentivizes the workforce to, to really work together um, to get the work done because they can get the Friday off. And, and because a lot of people are traveling sometimes long distances or are away from home, getting that Friday back is just magical uh, to get back to your family and friends um, on, on a Friday as well. So there's some great things happening within the industry trying to move some of these things things around. But at the end of the day, it's going to be it's going to be it's a tough culture to move and, and say until we can get an environment where it makes it very easy for people to be flexible, then it's going to be very tough. So one of those things that you know yourselves as a charity have have done towards this is the launch of the Make It Visible campaign uh, going back to January of 2023. How does this campaign fit with all the other initiatives within the industry? And why, Bill, do you feel an overarching rather than a company-by-company approach is required? Well, I I think the the industry is, is very poor at collaborating on many aspects of work. Uh, and and for me, and certainly one of the things that I advocate is that there is no intellectual property on welfare and well-being. And, you know, it, it's not a brand thing. It's it's something so, you know, XY's companies brand the welfare and well-being for their workforce is better than Y. But if, if, if you've got 53% of the workforce moving around from project to project to project, you know, you just need to have a really good, strong welfare and well-being program as a base level. Um, that everybody can can expect when they get to that site, and that's what we're trying to achieve with the with the Make It Visible campaign. If we can put in a safety net for everybody across the industry that says, "Here is a baseline of welfare and well-being support that everybody should expect when they go onto every site." Because what happens with with companies is that they have maybe an employee assistance program, but it only goes as far as their employees. But if you look at any site, uh, you know, you might be the main contractor on the site, but maybe 60-70% of the people on that site are subcontractors. They're not your people. So your own EAP program might be brilliant, but it's not actually helping everybody on the site. So the, so the whole idea of the Make It Visible program is to to equalise uh, that, that, that base level to say that as soon as you walk onto a site, you will absolutely get this base level of support. And so, so to work on that as an overarching strategy across all companies in the industry and get that in place for me is is really really important yeah that sounds really wonderful bill and and a word that you mentioned earlier on during our conversation it's also very inclusive which i think is psychologically hugely important isn't it oh without a doubt it's it's just making sure that anybody who walks onto a site that there'll, there'll always be a program that, that, that they can get help from somewhere and especially if you're a, a and again the, the numbers are, are, are big numbers out of the all the 450,000 businesses that are in construction i think over 92% have got under 10 people in them so it's a, it's, a, it's it's a network of very small businesses and these small businesses do not have the capacity to put in place very very big welfare and well-being programs but if they can know that they walk onto a site that their people are covered to a base level 
that's great. And, and if that site wants to add uh, on top of that base level, or let's call it a ladder of other things that they do on top of that site to make welfare and well-being better on their site, that is brilliant. But if everybody could just have one base level standard, everybody can get access to it and get the level of support uh, that they need in times of crisis. So, Bill, let's let's delve a little bit into actually how the Make It Visible campaign works. I believe there are four different elements. Can you talk us through what each of those are and then we can delve into them in a bit more detail? Yeah, so the, the, the four key elements are reactive strategies, well-being and welfare strategies, proactive welfare and well-being strategies, how to drive culture change within our industry uh, and measurement are, are the four four key areas. And the one that we've immediately got our heads around, which is is the reactive stuff, because to be fair, that's really what our charity has been all about um, for a long time is putting in, you know, we're, we're trying to fix people when, when the things happen and get them to a better uh, place after things have happened. And we've got a whole host of services uh, delivering that uh, from the, the the helplines through to text back through to the makeitvisible.info portal that's just been launched where everything get access to the information advice and guidance that they need and uh, through beacons around the country uh, so they, they've got a lot of reactive services here the next one is is proactive services like what do we do to to get people so they don't actually get to the position of crisis how do we help them before they reach that point and you know that's down to me is education and training is is a main main part of that and 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 some of the things within the industry like the soft skills training for the black hats um, and management has has been really quite poor within our industry a lot of people get promoted to, to supervisory positions because they are technical experts in the field, not necessarily because they're good people managers. Um, that doesn't mean to say that they can't become good people managers or people do not have some of those skills, but but a lot of those skills about being a good people manager can can be trained in and educated in about how to handle people. I mean, I, I don't know how many, you must have been on a few sites yourself, Jackie, but it's a very shouty uh, type atmosphere. Um, there's a lot of shouting going on. Um, and that's not necessarily a, a wonderful place to be. Uh, if we can get better uh, supervisory management skills in their soft skills, I think, again, that's going to really improve uh, the culture and then help people to, to de-stress in those situations. And then the culture chain thing is what we've talked about a little bit already. How do we move the culture? How do we make this a rewarding and inviting industry for the next generation coming through? Uh, certainly, I do a lot of toolbox talks. I go on site quite a lot. And one of the questions I ask everybody, put your hands up if you've got kids. A lot of hands go up. And then the next question is, say, how many of you are advocating a career in construction for your children? And 99% of the hands go down. So how on earth are we going to get advocacy about bringing uh, more people into the industry if the parents of the people in the industry are not saying this is a great place for the kids to come into? And it doesn't matter how good the school's programmes are, um, etc. But if little Johnny or Jemima goes home to mum and dad and say, I want to be in construction, and they say, no way, um, it's not going to help us get that uh, skills for the future. And, and we are desperately short of skilled labour in the sector, uh, around about 50,000, 60,000 um, a year skilled labour shortage for the next four or five years. So Brexit hasn't helped us get the, the labour into the industry as well. So so we're, we're dealing with major problems here. And then the final element being measurement. Well, we're going to do a lot of things, but it's really important we find some way of trying to measure 
what we're doing and, and if, 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 that, uh, if the things we're doing is making a profound difference in some sort of way, we can do more of it. And, and that measurement piece is quite a difficult thing to get in place as well. How do you measure the welfare and well-being um, of your industry? I mean, yes, we've got high-level indicators like uh, the suicide rates within the industry, but how do we get better granularity of of that measurement process as well down to the programs that we're running? So a lot of work to do uh, with, within the task force to make uh, make some of those things a reality. It's very complicated also, Bill, at this time, as you've mentioned, of course, Brexit and skills shortage. And then, of course, we also have over the last year and a half or, or a little bit more, you know, the, the huge jump in the cost of materials, which I know will be worse in the UK than it even is pretty bad, obviously, and in Ireland is obviously very bad as well. All of these come together to make to make it a very challenging for for the people who maybe are good people managers within the industry, there's just so much to cope with, I suppose, isn't there? Absolutely, there's a lot of moving parts, and and uh, you know, it's it's and there's a lot of inefficiencies in here. We we know that the productivity within our industry is is one of the lowest uh, productive industries that we have. We we don't uh, embrace technology as an enabler to to help things through. Uh, and and you know we've got all the the issues about cost materials and you know labour rates were going up dramatically um, as a consequence of a scarcity of labour. Now then the the product prices went up as a consequence of of the issues we've had by getting products at the right price. And now we're having seeing some uh, pullback from the housing markets uh, because of the interest rate. So I mean there's just so many moving parts uh, to to the whole market that. Uh, it, it, it's, a, it's a stressful place to operate in, but with good management, uh, you can manage to look look at those elements and try and de-stress your workforce as best you can by good management skills, for sure. Definitely, Bill. That's 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 very much the case. Now, going back to the various elements of the Make It Vis- Visible campaign, let's talk in a bit more detail about the reactive strategies. These are obviously the first element that people will see and obviously what you're leading on. Can you talk to us a little bit about what's been done so far in this in this part of the work and what challenges that you might be experiencing at this stage and what else is left to do? Yeah, the, the reactive strategies are, are, are relatively, relatively mature um, in the sense of, you know, we've now got, we talked about this baseline, this, this safety net. We've, we've got a 24-7 helpline that anybody can access in the UK uh, or Ireland. So that's there. And that, that, uh, that helpline will give emotional, physical, and back to our own benevolence side, the financial support uh, that people need. We, we put a lot of food on people's tables. Um, and we're getting over 400 calls every month now into our construction industry help line with you know workers families in crisis um, which we're dealing with on, on a regular basis uh, then we've got a, a text back service uh, as well so if people are not confident enough to make the telephone call we've got a text back service so they can they can talk to us uh, via text uh, and we've just recently introduced a, a, a line now where we can actually cover around about 27 different languages as well so we know that the workforce has got uh, is, is quite diverse in the languages and cultures uh, already in there so we're trying to deal with that 
Um, then the big thing we launched was the the Make It Visible info portal, uh, which was launched in May this year, and anybody can get access to that. Um, it's obviously optimised for the UK and Ireland because the signposting is to places where people can get help. And again, it is built around those three pillars of emotional, physical, and financial support. And the the, the portal is packed full of information, advice, and guidance, plus pathways uh, to get support. Uh, then, then we've got a, a major e-learning program as well, which people can access, where, again, it's about trying to build up those soft skills uh, as well, which, again, uh, people can access is completely free of charge. And then the other thing we've got now, which I think is, is, is super, is we've built a nationwide network of what we call lighthouse beacons. So if anybody's working away from home, they can go onto the portal, look for the lighthouse beacons, and they'll usually find somewhere um, close by where people meet, physically meet, um, socialize in a non-judgmental environment and uh, they can you know get some good socializing, maybe do a little bit of sport together. And we haven't invented that. We all, what we've done there is we've we've curated um, a nationwide network that's already in existence into into one place where you can actually see where they all are. And there's I think there's over 550 uh, lighthouse beacons around the UK and Ireland now where people can can drop in and um, you know socialize and and, and discuss them, things in a non judgmental way. So so for me, there's a really good portfolio of services there on the reactive side and and then the final thing that we launched uh, in pilot with the ford motor company last year which is probably our most successful uh, project which is the make it visible on-site program where we put tradespeople in a van very brightly colored van um, and we've taken them out on site and these tradesmen have got uh, a lived experience of mental health problems themselves they're mental health first aid trained as well, so they know how to respond and act with people. And and they, they go on site and they tell the story. And because they are tradesmen um, and the boots on the ground have a huge empathy with them because, you know, when they're not in the vans, they're actually brickies and, uh, you know, plumbers and et cetera, that they are working in the trades themselves. So there's a big empathy there. And, and this overcomes two major obstacles we have, which is, reducing the stigma to to be able to talk about mental health and and mental well-being which this particular program does and then the second thing is to build awareness of the services that are available which obviously the guys on site then give them out the helpline cards and saying look buddy you know if you've got a problem here's the helpline you know use it that's what it's there for and what what just bowls me over we've seen about think about now 30,000 people on site um, over the last uh, 18 months and out of that we've had 125 active rescues. These are people who basically have come to the individuals on site after the talk has finished and said I am at the end of my tether. I I am seriously considering taking my own life and we've got them immediately into counselling and I'm really pleased to say they're all still with us. So hand on heart, I can say that this particular program is saving lives in our industry. Um, you know, and I just don't know what price you put on that, but it's just a, an immense feeling uh, that you know of, of pride in what we're trying to do and what we're trying to achieve uh, going forward. That's, I mean, there is no price bill, obviously, for even one of those lives, and so that's just incredible work that you're all doing, and so so impressive all aspects of it and including 
working in people's maternal languages across 27 different languages, like just amazing, amazing work. Going, Bill, to the the next stage, which is obviously the proactive stage, this is some, you know, this is something that will deliver over time with the culture changes, great changes within the industry and, and drive, I think, a lot of improvement. Now, I was particularly interested in some of the research you're doing for part of that initiative, especially around upskilling people in terms of them becoming managers. What is Make It Visible doing to tackle this issue and other areas to, to address that long-term culture change? Well, well, the, the industry um, is really trying to get together around the, the equality, diversity and inclusion programmes um, going forward. And, and for a long time, the industry has um, taken all the factors down to a level where, and let, let's break it down to men and women, it's easier, but the, the, all the things can be done by men. Any trade could be done by a man or a woman now because all the lifting regulations have changed, the sizes and everything. You'll still get you know, the, the guys taking two hods of bricks around, etc., but they don't need to. Um, and really the, the bags of cement now are in a way that you know uh, anybody can lift. So the, the big thing that needs to happen in the industry is probably to encourage uh, more women into the trades. I mean, what we're seeing is is very, very encouraging is that we're seeing a lot more women coming into the professional levels within the industry, which is brilliant. But we still need to, to, to see more people coming into the trades. We talked about 87% of the population uh, within construction being men. If you actually distill that down to the trades, it's I haven't got a statistic on that, but I know for a fact it's going to be very, very small, probably um, in its single digits, if, if and probably even low single digits as well. And that's where we need to to have that major culture change when you get on site um, is is to get to get that more diversity and inclusion at that level. And the industry knows that. Um, as well, and is trying really hard to push um, along those lines. There's lots of programs in there to make that happen, but it's it's going to it's going to be a tough and long process to to see that change. But if we are going to make the culture change, we need to make make that thing move. So, with both both your reactive and proactive strategies, there's so much going on, Bill. Obviously, fantastic work that's been done to date. But how how will it be possible to evaluate this? What what sort of plans have you got in place to measure your results? Uh, that, I mean, that's that's one of the, the, the most difficult questions, um, and, and it's, 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 it's quite difficult to, to to sum up. I mean, I think the industry is is really good uh, at doing things right, but we need to be better than that. We need to do right things, and and there's a, there's a big difference doing things right and doing right things. And and for me, having a, a, a mature welfare and well being program for the industry is a right thing to do. So measurement for me is important, but if something can't be measured, but it's still a right thing to do, we should still go on and do it. Um, and yes, we have got companies that are now questioning, well, how much money are we spending on this welfare and wellbeing program? Well, again, it's, it's one of the things, if you look after your people, your, your people will look after your business. And, and again, that's a right thing to do. So it's very, it's going to be very difficult to measure this because some of the elements of it will be very subjective. But what one thing we certainly can measure is the suicide rates. We've got to see those suicide rates coming down because suicide is probably the most preventable death of any, any other thing that happens. If we can get to an individual at a time when they're vulnerable 
and help them get back, you know, back to a sustainable pathway where everything works out okay for them. So, so for me, that is is one of the key measures. Is is we'll, we'll still track and monitor the the suicides with, within our industry. It's then how do we then to start distilling the the other elements of welfare and well being on site? I mean, you go to an airport now and you see the three little buttons there: happy face, unhappy face, somewhere in the middle. You know, we could have biometric systems going in and out of work um, to say, you know, how are you going into work and how are you coming back from work and start looking to see where happy sites, bad sites, happy sites, unhappy sites. So there's, there's things that can be done, um, but they're, they're always going to be a little bit more subjective when you're working in a very subjective area like welfare and well-being, where it doesn't all happen at work. You know, it, it is an employer's responsibility to make somebody feel good. No, I don't think so. But is it an employer's duty to make sure when they come to work for them until the time they leave, I'm not going to make you any worse. And if I can, I'm going to try and make you feel a little bit better. That's where we should be at. Um, but you can't take total responsibility for you know, people's outside lives, outside activities, etc. You can't, you can't, as an employer, you can't do that. But what you can do is to make sure you've got a working environment that doesn't make you any worse. And I don't know how we're going to measure that yet. There's a simple answer. Certainly, the biometrics might be an interesting an interesting idea there, Bill. But you know what you said, it's not up to them to you know to cover all aspects of their employees' lives. But when you have a place of work that you enjoy going to, and you enjoy your you know your colleagues, and as much as pers- a person can enjoy work, well, that's that's a massive that's a, ma- a massive benefit, isn't it? Oh, without a doubt, without a yeah. doubt. Yeah. So listen, just going on from the improvements we've seen in terms of, you know, since COVID and realizations, you know, and more acceptance of it's okay not to be okay and so on. But there's still a whole range. We touched on that a little while ago, Bill. There's so many external factors right now in the world, not just in the UK, but, you know, touching on the UK, of course, you've got the mortgage interest rates rising, cost of living, all all very, very tough. Can you Tell us how Make It Visible is also working to to help with these as well. Well, well, the, for, for me, the, 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 this all starts with the portal. Uh, we spent a huge amount of time and energy working with the CITB, um, who have uh, been the major funding funder of making that portal happen. Um, and there's a huge amount of information, advice, and guidance around a, a whole host of topic matters around the emotional well-being, physical well-being, and financial well-being. And and I think that's a great place to start is is to is to be able to go there and and find out about things uh, to 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 help yourself and educate yourself. And it's written in a language as well that you know most people will be able to understand. It's not written in a highbrow language. Um, we've we've been very deliberate in the language we've used within the portal to make it easy and accessible um, for for as many many people as possible. Unfortunately, it's still only in English, which uh, makes it um, a little bit more difficult. Where uh, your, your your mother language is not English, but it's it's a lot more difficult to translate it into all those different languages than it is to put um, an interpreter in at a helpline. Um, but we, we'll, we'll get there eventually. I've been in technology a lot of years of my life and I'm seeing you know, fantastic moves with um, artificial intelligence now that can help translate stuff pretty quickly um, as well. So I'm sure, I'm sure we'll get there. But I mean, I think that's, that's just really a great starting point is, is, is to have a look at the portal, make it visible.info. It's got, 
it's, it's the, your, your very first way to to access the world of support for you and whatever crisis you're in. Yeah, no, it does. It sounds absolutely fantastic. And sure, the languages will come with time. That is a huge. I also work, you know, with digital marketing and websites and so on. So I know that the, you know the amount of commitment that goes into that, even with AI, obviously, you know. Um, Bill, we've we've gone through a lot of what you know what what you're doing within the charity and you know what you're planning to do and some of the challenges that you're you know that you're facing but talking about directly communication to business leaders with within the industry what advice and what would sort of way would you like to talk to them today bill through the podcast through constructive voices what would you like as their sort of takeaways from this episode today well, I think for, for anybody who is in business or running a business, and, and I know everybody is is balancing out a lot of priorities at the moment, but but your people have, I mean, everybody talks about our, our people are our biggest asset. Yeah, but hold on, if you've got something that is uh, a, a, an asset that is it's, it's not as valuable, if it's, it's a depreciating asset or is it an ad- appreciating asset, and certainly for your people, you'd want it to be an appreciating asset. So it's, you've got to put the time and energy into your people and they will be more loyal to you if you are looking after them better. And certainly one way of looking after them better is to make sure you have a very, very strong welfare and well-being program for your people. And I've said it before, if you look after your people, your people will look after your business and be more loyal to your business uh, going forward for sure. Excellent advice. And what about the listeners, and we have plenty of listeners who won't be at, you know, leadership levels. So all sorts of listeners across all sorts of jobs and positions within the built environment. What would you like to leave them with today, Bill? Well, again, just because you think you can only do a little doesn't mean to say you don't do anything. Um, and there is and there's a few things that I think every single person can do, no matter who they are, where um, you know, or where they are in the organisation. First of all, if if you see somebody struggling, don't ask once, ask twice, and see how they're really feeling, and make sure that you know you you ask them twice because you know you often get a different answer the second time around. And then if if you do ask that question and they do open up to you, try to listen non-judgmentally and and respond non-judgmentally. It's easy to say, very difficult to do because we are a world of Mr. Fix-its and we intend sometimes to jump down and give people an instant solution. Or we say, oh, that's not a problem at all. Well, well, it is to them. So trying to listen and respond judgmentally is very difficult to do, but sometimes all that person needs is, is is a listening ear. And, and the third thing I think that everybody can do is is always be kind. There's no reason to be unkind to another human being, especially in your work environment. Um, so try again to think of those things. Ask twice. You know, listen, respond non-judgmentally, and always be kind. And if everybody did that, then we already got. A massive welfare and well-being program happening in the culture. Um, everybody can do that, and I would advocate that everybody should try. What comes What comes to mind, Bill, when you're you know giving that excellent advice is, of course, when people aren't kind, it, it is often because they have something going on for themselves. So it can be a little bit of a catch twenty two. And what you've said about asking twice or even three times is so hugely important because it's so easy to ask. And not want to ask again, or for the person who is answering, 
just to feel like you don't really mean it. Um, so that, that somebody asking and really digging and wanting to know the answer gives that hope and gives that, that just moment of being somebody cares, somebody's listening to me. Yes, spot on, Jackie, spot on. So it's been an amazing conversation. Um, I'd just like to say to the listeners, if you have been affected by any of the issues that Bill and I have discussed here today, people working in the construction industry and the built environment have access to the Lighthouse Charities Make It Visible portal, which you can find at makeitvisible.info, or alternatively, you can call their 24-7 helpline. The number for that is 0345-605-1956. If you're more comfortable or for some reason it just seems more convenient to you, never forget that the Samaritans helpline is available to everybody at all times and you can call them at any time, talk to them, you know, about yourself or it could be a friend or a colleague that you're worried about. And their number is 116-123. Thank you so, so much, Bill, for your time today. It's, it's been a pleasure, Jackie. And that's all for this episode of Constructive Voices. Please take a moment to share it with others who may find it interesting. Follow or subscribe to get the latest episodes automatically on your favourite podcast app and rate and review the podcast if you can. You can also listen to the latest episode by saying, Alexa, play Constructive Voices podcast. Here's Constructive Voices. Here's the latest episode. And on our website where there's lots more information too. That's constructive-voices.com. Don't forget the dash. Until next time, thanks for listening. You're really helping us build something. Mm-hmm.